Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. I've recently found myself put on the stand to justify my reasoning and requests as Hannah, our three and a half year old, asks a question that can seemingly be asked anytime, anywhere, about anything. Why? Hannah, can you please share with Chloe? Why? You need to eat your broccoli before you can have ice cream. Why? It's time to go to bed. Why? It doesn't even matter what my response is to her initial why, she again will ask, why? And at the end of a a long day, it is so hard not to retort because I said so. You know, I've tried actually asking Hannah this question back and she'll do something and I'll just ask her, I'm like, like, why won't you just share with Clara? Why won't you just try the chicken? But she's smart. And she just dodges the question by saying, I don't know. You know what? Maybe I should try that because like, what am I supposed to say to that? She doesn't know. She's three and a half. Like, what can I say? What if I tried this with her? You know, Hannah, you got to have your broccoli before you have your ice cream. Why? I don't know. Because mom said so. If any of this sounds familiar, then you might be a dad too. And if that's the case, I just want to say happy Father's Day. And we are glad that you chose to join us. Defending our reasoning with our kids is one thing. But when our faith, when our beliefs, our behaviors are are put into question by others, it takes it to a whole nother level. So how do we respond? Like when someone says, why don't you swear? Or why didn't you take advantage of that client? You say you're loving, why don't you support them? Why do you say that? Why do you do that? Why do you believe that? When we're put on the stand for our faith, because I said so and I don't know, they're not going to cut it. And what we've observed over the last several weeks throughout this journey through the book of Acts is that the early church lived boldly and when they did, they're they were questioned about it. We see individuals questioned about it. And if we live boldly, like we see the early church live boldly, our beliefs, our behaviors will probably be questioned by others. So when we're questioned, how should we respond? Well, that's what we're going to see today as we look at Paul's trial, at least a, a segment of it. And I would invite you to turn with me to Acts 26 to check this out. Now, if you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along in our free app where you can also jot down notes. You just have to click that message notes tile right on the homepage. We assume that following Jesus is comfortable because, well, that's what we want. We want a comfortable, easy, pleasurable life. And what we have seen over the last several months is that following Jesus is better and it's also harder. This has been the experience of the early church and it's gonna be our experience when we follow Jesus too. The apostles, disciples, early church, they regularly met opposition. 
as they boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus in his resurrection. And when they faced opposition, we would expect for them to pray for peace, protection, provision, because, well, that's what we'd pray for. In fact, it's even what we pray for when things are going well. But you know what the early church actually prayed for? They actually prayed for boldness. And the Holy Spirit would empower them to continue to live boldly. Now, the early church's boldness throughout this series has challenged many of us. It's come up in our community group discussions, our conversations with friends. And if we are going to be like the early church and we're going to live boldly for the name of Jesus, then we're going to meet some opposition too. And today we're going to discover how we can respond when we are opposed. So let's do this. Let's, let's pray. Let's pause and let's pray. And let's ask to hear from God about how he would have us respond when we find ourselves put on the stand. Lord, thank you for another opportunity to open your word. Would you please speak to us now? Speak to us through Paul's message, through Paul's model. And when we find ourselves questioned about why we believe a certain thing or behave a certain way, would we respond in a way that honors you and honors those before us? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So at this point, Paul is just wrapping up his third missionary journey around the Mediterranean. And on that journey, he actually wrote a letter to the church in Rome. We know it as Romans. It's recorded in our New Testament. And in this letter, Paul expresses his desire to one day visit Rome and proclaim the gospel there. But Paul's missionary journey did not land him in Rome. It landed him in Jerusalem. And just days after Paul arrived in Jerusalem, some Jews spot him at the temple, and they start to spread some rumors, and everything just spiraled out of control, from misaccusations to uh, misunderstandings, from a, a Jewish riot to even Roman imprisonment, from being on trial before the religious council, the, the Jewish religious council, to even standing on trial before a Roman governor. Like, Paul went through the ringer. And through it all, you know what he did? He didn't waver for one moment in his faith. He continued to testify to Jesus in Jesus' resurrection. Now, in the middle of all this, I, I wish I could tell you the whole story because the drama is as thick as any blockbuster movie. But you're going to have to read the whole story, the whole trial of Paul for yourself. It's in Acts 21 through 26, and we're going to look at 26 today. But first, in the middle of this mess, Paul is in a Roman barracks one night, and it, it, things had to have felt like they were just out of control. And Jesus showed up in, in a way that was so palpable for Paul, and this is what he had to say to Paul. This is in Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Even though Paul heard this, it wouldn't be for years later until he saw it come about. You see, from the, the seat he sat in that night, in a Roman barracks in Jerusalem, he still had a whole lot more to that was going to happen before it got him to Rome. In fact, two years later, Paul was still waiting for the verdict of his trial. At this point, the previous Roman governor, Felix, had been replaced by a new 
Roman governor, Festus. And Festus has Paul, you know, talks to Paul, understands why Paul is, is still in this position. And Paul, at the end of this trial with Festus, you know what he says? He's like, I just, he appeals to Caesar. He just, let's go to the very top. I'm done with this. Let's go to the top. Let's go to Rome. Festus actually grants Paul's request. But once he grants his request, it then hits him. I should probably have a legitimate reason to send Paul to Caesar in his court. So it just so happens that a few days later, the king of the Jews, King Agrippa, comes to visit the new Roman governor, Festus, to pay his respects. Well, Agrippa and Festus start talking, and, and Festus shares with Agrippa about this guy, Paul, who has been imprisoned and has appealed to Rome and how he said he could go. Well, I don't know why I'm sending him, Festus essentially says. Agrippa agrees to let Paul be tried before him and Festus so that Agrippa could help Festus discern why, in fact, are you sending Paul to Caesar's court? And it's here that we're going to pick up the story. And here, we're going to learn that when we're on the stand, we should take a stand. Like, we should take a stand for our faith. This is what we see Paul do throughout this whole trial, from Acts 21 all the way up through the passage we're going to read today. And like Paul, we can take a stand for our faith when we're on trial, when we're put on the stand. But how do we do that? Well, let's dive in and see. And it starts with this. Testify to the truth. Listen to Paul's opening remarks in Acts 26. This is going to be in verses 2 through 8. <clears throat> King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Okay, remember, Agrippa was the king of the Jews, so here Paul connects with Agrippa around his Jewishness. And he builds his case, anchors his case in Jewish history, as he follows, or as what follows and what he says next. <clears throat> now in verse 6, And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised to our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So what is this, this promise, this hope that Paul is referencing? Well, it's the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, who would come and save the Jewish people. Jesus is the, the point of history, and Jesus is the point of his story, Paul's story, too, as we'll see here in just a moment. Thus, Paul does not waste any time in bringing the point before Agrippa. He's like, this is why I'm on trial. Jesus and specifically his resurrection. Now, when we're put on the stand and we're questioned about our beliefs, our behaviors, like Paul, 
We are wise to make Jesus the point because he is the point. So make Jesus the point. You see, when people question our stance about different things, it could be about absolute truth, could be about the problem of evil, could be about social issues, homosexuality, or something else. It's tempting to just lean in and debate the topic at hand. But if we do that, we're probably not going to get anywhere. Because as followers of Jesus, Jesus frames our worldview. So if we want to have a meaningful discussion with somebody, we need to first agree about Jesus. We have to agree about the main thing before we can talk about other things. And the main thing is this, Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and is coming again. If we can agree on that, if we can agree on Jesus, then we might just have a meaningful and fruitful conversation. So what would it look like to practically orient a conversation around Jesus? I want to try something. It's going to be a little challenging, especially over video, but just hang with me because I'm going to try to model what this could look like. I'm going to simulate a situation, okay? In fact, I'm going to pick maybe the hardest question that one of us might get asked, okay? What do you think about homosexuality? This question has a ton of weight behind it in our society today. Now, the goal isn't to actually answer that question specifically right now. The goal is to see how do we take a question where no matter what we believe about homosexuality, a question that makes us feel like we're on the defensive, feels like we're having to take a stance for what we believe. How do we take a question like that and then orient it, orient the conversation around what matters most? So, someone asks, what do you think about homosexuality? Here's how we could respond. That's a great question. I know I'm curious. Help me understand what you believe about homosexuality. Oh, you know, that's so interesting. What's it been like when your your family member just came out? How, how's it been going for you? How's it going for your family? You know, I really admire your desire to love your family member, to love others like your family member well. As a follower of Jesus, loving others is a big deal to me. I don't, I don't get, always get it right, but I want to. Like, I want to love well because Jesus loved well. What's your experience with Jesus, Ben? I, I, I ask because, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I've really seen how he shapes my worldview and, and how he's helped me think through even these important questions like what I think about homosexuality and others. So what's your experience, Ben? Oh, yeah, you've, you're kind of familiar with a little bit of his teaching. You know, I agree. Jesus was a great teacher. And you know what? As I've studied his teaching, what I've found is that he was actually even more than a teacher. Jesus was God. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He actually rose from the dead. And now we can have a relationship with God because of him. Did you know that? Like, did you, are you familiar with that, that part of Jesus' life and ministry? Well, you know what? Here's what I would suggest, okay? I would love to talk about what I think about homosexuality, but you know what I think would actually be more helpful? What if you and I, we sat down and we took some time to read a historical account of Jesus' life, and what if we just discussed it together, how Jesus was loving, what he taught, and then see why I could tell you why I even have chosen to follow him. And here's why I suggest that before I just give you my, my answer on what I think about homosexuality. 
It's because not only has Jesus helped me think through questions like this, he's also helped me answer other questions too. And I think that both of us could benefit a lot from it. I mean, I, I now have clarity around who I am. I know the community that I'm a part of. I even know how I can make a difference with my life. And if you want to be a loving family member, I know I want to be a loving person. I think we can learn a lot from Jesus. So what do you say? What if we take a look at Jesus's life together? Okay. I'm just going to call it the elephant. Like it is, it's hard. It's hard to simulate a conversation, especially a conversation about a, a heated topic like homosexuality. But I did that because I'm I want to model for us what it could look like to have a conversation around what matters most before we start talking about how that's fleshed out in all the different areas of life. And, and above all, here's what I'd love you to, to, to internalize the way we should live when we find ourselves put on the stand. This is what should characterize us. We should be empathetic. We should be humble. We should be curious. And above all, you know what we should do? We need to make it about Jesus because Jesus is the point, especially his resurrection. Like when we look at scripture, it's undeniable that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the linchpin of our faith. And when we recognize that Jesus predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, pulled it all off, like he is God and he validates the rest of scripture. So if we can agree on Jesus, we can then have all kinds of really fruitful discussion, but we got to start with the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. So regardless of the question, when you, you feel like you're being put on the stand, start with this, testify to the truth, but don't stop there. It, Paul continues and we should continue too. And that leads us to the second point, share your story. Listen to how Paul shared his story as he makes his case to King Agrippa. This is in verses nine and following. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I even tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul begins and he shared his story, what his life was like before he met Jesus. He went and he was opposing followers of Jesus. He was persecuting the church. Now, before I met Jesus, I wasn't persecuting the church, but I certainly questioned the value of it. Uh, as a teenager, I just was jealous that my peers that weren't going to church, they got to sleep in on Sundays. And then I'd, I'd show up at church and I was, I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I was confused. I'm like, what's the point of this? Because here are these church friends. They don't look any different than my friends at school. Why am I even here? When you share your story, make sure you talk about what life was like before you met Jesus. Because this is where Paul started. And if you're talking to somebody who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus, it's where they're living right now. We're all at a different spot in our faith journey. So meet people where they're at. Now, after sharing what life was like before Jesus, Paul continued. And now he shares how he met Jesus in verses 12 and following. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from their from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul recounts how he met Jesus on that road to Damascus and how it changed everything. He went from persecuting Christians to now proclaiming the name of Christ. Now, I didn't meet Jesus on a dusty road. I actually met him in a dingy movie theater. My parents dragged me and my siblings to yet another church. This one just happened to be a new church in town. Met at an old, dingy movie theater. And I was over it. But I was quickly won over when my peers at this new church invited me to play Capture the Flag with them, to have video game nights with them. And when I spent time with them, I saw that they had this genuine joy of, that just seemed to come from following Jesus. I even decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try reading my Bible. Now, my motives might have been mixed. I was trying to impress a girl with my Bible reading ability, but God used it nonetheless. And on February 6, 2005, I got baptized in a hotel pool of all places during the Super Bowl halftime show of all times. Why? Because Jesus was changing me as I read his word, as I encountered his community, the church. And I was declaring, hey, I'm with him. This is no longer my parents' thing. Following Jesus is my thing. Now, when you share your story, share how you met Jesus. How did he appear to you? Was it hit through his word, through his church, or some other experience? Share this. And we often, when we share this, you know what we do? We, we stop here as if that's the end of the story. But it's not. Like, for many of us, We've, we've met Jesus sometime in the past, but we've been living life with Jesus since. So we need to share about that. In fact, that's what Paul did next. In verse 19 and following, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would have uh, said would have happened. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul wrapped up by sharing how his faith in his life was radically transformed, and now he goes and shares Jesus. He went from persecute, going on this mission to persecute those in Damascus to now sharing the good news of Jesus with those in Damascus. But it doesn't stop there. He continues to Jews and Gentiles all around the Mediterranean. Now, shortly after I came to Jesus, I felt called to be a pastor. I went from hating church to now we're starting a church. I went from hating public speaking. I just loathed it. I would shake. You could see my legs shaking in my pants. To now I, I, I preach on a regular basis. 
If I didn't know Jesus, my life would look very different. But I'm so glad I do. And I hope you can know Jesus too. Now, if you do know Jesus and you're sharing your story with somebody, whether you have a long time or a short time, be sure to share what life like is now that you know Jesus, the joy you have, the peace you have, the freedom you have, because that's what people long for. So when you're put on the stand, testify to truth, share your story, both life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, how you are experiencing life with Jesus now. And then three, personalize your plea. Here's what it looked like for Paul. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Calling back to King Agrippa's Jewish heritage, Paul personalizes his plea. Not for his own freedom. Paul's already made free in Christ. He's, his plea is for Agrippa's freedom, but not just Agrippa's. Everyone listening. He's like, I don't care who responds. I just want someone to respond. Like Paul, may we boldly share our faith. May we take a stand when we're put on the stand. But let's not leave it there. Let's invite a response. Because if we don't invite people to respond, they won't. Maybe we'd ask a question of the like. It depends on the conversation, the context. But maybe it's something like, would you like to experience the joy of following Jesus too? People aren't always going to respond yes. Festus and King Agrippa, they didn't respond yes here. But we're not responsible for people's response. That's between them and God. We're responsible for giving them an invitation, an opportunity to respond. So, you know what I find amazing about all this? Uh, We've actually seen it, not just today, but we've seen it throughout the book of Acts. When uh, the people of God boldly share of the mission of God in the, by the love of God, like when, they, when they're just bold about loving others by, by living on mission with God, you know what happens? Nothing stops the mission of God. Nothing. It's trials, persecution, opposition, things that would normally stall our progress. You know what? Because of God, because of His Spirit moving through us, God leverages these things to actually advance his cause, to advance his purposes. So when we find ourselves facing a trial, facing opposition of some kind, and the temptation is to to shrink back, we don't have to shrink back as Jesus followers. We will lean forward. When what we knew is changing, we don't have to to worry about what's next or when we're going to return to normal. We can instead wonder, What does this make possible? When our dreams, when they just appear to be fading into the background, we can trust God to bring them into focus so that we could realize them. Something I I continue to learn throughout this series, throughout my journey with Jesus is this. God's ways, his thoughts, they are so much higher than my thoughts and ways. And because of that, we need to hold tight to his mission, sharing with everyone the good news of Jesus. And if we do that, we at the same time need to hold loosely to our methods because God, in in the way only God can, often uses unlikely circumstances and, and 
challenging situations to actually advance his cause, to advance his purpose, his mission. So when you find yourself put on the stand, questioned about what you believe or, or why you behave a certain way, we all know because I said so and I don't know, they aren't gonna cut it, but that's okay. Because when put on the stand, take a stand. It's how we see Paul respond and it's how we're invited to respond too.